and it will be when we bow in his presence and we are humbled in seeing him. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 3 as we continue uh, preaching through this little book, this little letter that Paul had written to the church in Colossae. <clears throat> This is a church that uh, Paul had set his heart upon as they were being uh, hindered in their growth by spirit, uh, false teachers who had come in telling them that they needed to uh, be circumcised and believe in Jesus, how they needed to observe holy days and feast and their food dietary things and all of this plus believe in Christ in order to be saved. So the theme of Paul's letter here to the Colossians is the sufficiency of Christ, that he is enough. Now today, you and I may not be faced with the same uh, types of uh, false teaching that these believers in Colossae were. And, the, you know, the believers in Galatians were also going through this with that Paul had written to them. But today we we are... We are more inclined to look at more of a performance-based Christianity than a faith-based Christianity. What I mean by that is we have this idea that as long as you go to church, you're a Christian. Or as long as you read your Bible, you're a Christian. As long as you uh, have a daily prayer time, you're a Christian. You are saved. Is that true? Absolutely not. I mean, can you imagine if you were to spend... Three, three and a half years with Jesus and hear every single sermon he preached. Judas did. Judas heard every single sermon. He didn't hear it from a preacher like me. He heard it from the voice of God himself. And so we, we have to be careful. And, and this is what, you know, any time that our Christianity, any time the gospel becomes about anything other than Christ alone, it's no longer the gospel. It's just that simple. All right. So, so here in chapter 3, Paul is continuing to open up the significance of what it means as a Christian to be joined to Christ in two vital senses, his death and his resurrection. I want you to imagine... Well, you don't have to imagine this. I want you to picture this in your mind's eye. And I say, don't imagine it because this is not something you have to imagine. This is something that is absolutely true. That you, when you came into this world, were dead in your trespasses and sins. Because you were. Now, you, you, you've seen the, the typical idea is that it's a person out in the out in the water that's that's drowning <laughs> okay and they're crying out for help and so you take a life preserver and you throw it out to them and, and and pull them in and that's a picture they say of someone who is lost who's looking for salvation and you presenting the gospel to them and sending them that that uh, lifesaver but that is not the gospel you want to know what the gospel is? The gospel is when I lie at the bottom of the Mariana Trench. Do you know what that is? That's the deepest part of the ocean on earth. And, and there's nothing there but bones. 
Now, you can throw me all the life preservers you want. You know what good it's going to do? None. You know why? Come on. I'm dead. (laughs) That's the picture of where we are before Christ. And the picture of salvation is that God reached down there in the bottom of that, picked me up, set me on the ground, and gave me life. That's the gospel. Now, what part did I play in that? Yes, I did. I was dead. (laughs) I was dead. (laughs) I love the words of Jonathan Edwards. I don't know if y'all have ever heard this before. But if you hadn't, I want you to remember this. Y'all are going to laugh when I say it because you've heard it a million times. The only thing you contribute to your salvation is the sin that made it necessary. That's it. And so Paul says... Now, now here's the thing. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. God, of His own will, of His own volition, said, I'm going to give you life. I'm going to save you. And when Jesus did, you know, every first Sunday of the month, we, we sit down together, the way I like to put it, with the Lord at the Lord's table to have communion. Do you know what that symbolizes? Do you know what that's for? Jesus said, this bread is my body, which is broken for you. This, 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 this wine is my blood, which is shed for you. Do this and remember. Remember what? Remember him and what he's done for us. And so Paul, he's already told us back in chapter 2, uh, he says that we were dead, and, but, but we have been crucified with Christ. Now, you understand this? That over 2,000 years ago, Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, hung on a cross with our sins laid on Him. And Paul says, don't you understand that when you place your faith in Christ, when you, when you have trusted in Him as your Savior, it's the same as if you had hung there with Him. Because now we are where? Once you get saved, where are you? In Christ. So if he died on the cross, what does that mean? If I'm in him, that means I died on the cross. But not only that, as he's going to show us this morning, uh, he says here in verse 1 of chapter 3, Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now, when Paul here, uh, he, he says that what Jesus accomplished through his death and resurrection has a direct bearing not only on how we become saved... Okay, you listen to this. All of this is not just about being saved. It's about staying saved. It's about living this Christian life, about uh, going through this sanctification process. Paul has said back in chapter 2, he says, As you have received Christ, so walk in Him. And how did we receive Him? By faith. So how do we walk in Him? By faith. He has enabled us to live the kind of life that he's called us to. But we need to understand this because I I myself spent many years of my Christian life like this till I finally came to a place and said, Lord, I cannot live this life. And he said, I know, so stop trying. (laughs) That's basically what he said to me. 
I can't do this. And he says, I know, but I can. Again, one of Paul's favorite phrases, which is so important in our life is, when we are saved, we are in Christ. Do you realize the significance of those two small words? In Christ, in Him, through Him. It's all about in Him, through Him, by Him. All of it. Turn with me over to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. I'm going to read the uh, first 14 verses. Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if uh, we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been justified from sin." Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer has master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God. Where? In Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin uh, reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting your members as, to sin as right, uh, instruments of right, unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace." Now, you know, I, I, I love this little book of, Col- of Colossians, but I can't wait to be finished with it because we're going to the book of Romans next. So, listen, <clears throat> Paul here in Colossians is saying the same thing he said there in Romans 6. He's saying, you died with Christ. Consider yourself dead to sin. Don't present yourselves as this. So what he's saying here in Colossians chapter 3 when he says, Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, and that is better translated since you have been raised with Christ. Since there's no question here of of whether they have been or not. Uh, The overall thrust of these uh, Colossians, as we looked at last week in chapter 2, was to impress upon us the significance of Christ's death for us in terms of making a decisive break with the life that we had before. Now, it's a very simple principle here, and it's so easy to understand. It's not easy to comprehend, but it's easy to understand. And here's what I mean by that. 
I can be the kind of, you know, I don't know whether you all know this or not, but I love Whataburger. Yes, I know you all knew that. Now, if somebody comes to me and says, I'm going to give you a lifetime supply of Whataburger. And yes, I would love you forever. <laughs> but what if you do that and I say, you know what? I'm trying to take better care of myself. She'd love for me to do this. But I say, you know what? I'm going to take better care of myself. I'm going to eat better. So I'm going to have to decline your offer. You would say something's different about you. Something's changed. What happened? And I say, you know, my wife, she's, she's a healthy eater, and she always wanted me to be, uh, you know, uh, when we first met, she said, what do you like to eat? And I said, I'll eat dirt if you fry it. I like junk food. So if you come to me and offer me this, if you offer me some Little Debbie and I turn it down, or Coca-Cola and I turn it, if you offer me any kind of junk food or Whataburger and I turn it down, you say, you know what, there's something wrong. Either he's sick or he's changed. And this is what Paul is saying. When sin comes to me and tempts me and I give in and I do what I did before Christ, something's wrong. And you know what that is that's wrong, right? That means I'm not truly saved. Now, does that mean I'm never going to give in to sin? Absolutely not. But what it means is Paul says... Therefore, if you've been raised with Christ, keep seeking things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And, and, and when I die, you know, when all this junk food finally kills me, and somebody comes to me and you see my dead body lying there in that casket and you give me a Whataburger gift card, I'm not going to want it. You know why? I'm dead. I'm dead. Do you see the point that he's making here? When, when, when sin comes to me and presents this offer to me, I can say, I don't want it. I have the, the power to do that, but that a power only comes as I am in Christ. And so in the same way, Paul says that, that in the, we are united with Christ in his death, the main thrust of this section is to spell out the whole life that we have begun as we are united with him in his resurrection. Did you know there's going to come a day when this body is going to cease to function? Okay. But there's also going to come a day when I'm going to hear him say, Bobby, come forth. And I want to tell you that the body that you bury will not be the body that comes out. It'll be different. Paul tells us in, in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, it'll be changed in a moment, the twinkling of an eye. John says in 1 John, he says, I don't know what he's like, but I know that when I see him, I'm going to be like him because I'm going to see him as he is. It'll be a different body. It'll be a different mindset. It'll be different everything. And, but, but Paul says, look, you don't have to wait till you physically die to enjoy that. It's now. The reality is that is us now. And he says, since you have been raised with Christ, uh, 
he, he begins this letter with yet another reminder of what Jesus has done for us or what God has done for us in Christ. And, and on our own, we are incapable of truly hearing or obeying God's commands. We cannot do it in and of ourselves. This is what Paul is stressing here in this letter. They are saying, the false teachers are saying, yes, you must believe in Christ. In other words, you do God will do his part as long as you do your part. Again, what is our part? Sin. That's it. Sin. That's our part. Uh, so he left to our own design devices, no amount of trying to please God on our part will ever bring about the restoration with God that we need. Paul is saying here over and over and over with illustration after illustration after illustration, this one very simple fact, our salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's it. That's it. And Paul wants us to understand that not only are we saved by God's grace, but that same grace that saved me is the same grace that enables me to obey him. It's only as God allows me to do it. You see, not only are we saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the word of God alone, but it is to the single glory of God alone. It's all Him. It's everything Him. And, and this is what Paul says. So before the apostle, uh, before he confronts his readers with the challenges of the new life to which they have been called, he first brings them back to the one relationship that had literally made them new people. And that is a relationship with the living Christ. If any man, Paul says, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. He's not a new man. He's a new creation, a whole new thing. And so we have to understand this. You know, if you turn over to Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, this is a wonderful verse that Paul says right here. I'm going to read this. I can quote it, but I don't want to misquote it. Uh, Galatians 2.20 Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. Do you know what happens when you're crucified? You're dead. You die. I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul says, I've, I have died, and the only life that I have is Christ. Uh, the, the only good you ever see in me is Christ. You understand this? So here's what he's saying is that we have been, he says, if you've been raised with him or since you've been raised with him, you need to understand where you are and who you are in Christ. This makes all the difference in the world. Look at verse 2. He says, therefore, set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth. <clears throat> the first great practical implication of being raised with Christ is that as a Christian, we should now seek things which are above. The false teachers in Colossae, uh, they, they were fostering an approach to faith that was concerned 
with earthly rules and earthly riches rather than heavenly realities, we still see the same thing today. Now, with that said, let me clarify something I said earlier. You will not be saved because you go to church. You will not be saved because you read and study your Bible. You will not be saved because you pray. You will, however, have a desire to be with God's people in God's church if you're saved. You will have a desire and a love for God's word if you're saved. You will have a desire to spend time in fellowship and prayer with God if you're saved or because you're saved. So you see how this works? You don't do it to be, you do it because. See how that works? And so this is what Paul is trying to get to them. He says, seek those things which are above. Uh, there, there were several significant things that Paul says here. Number one is the supernatural power that raised Jesus from the dead. You know, when Paul says in Romans chapter 1, let me go over there and read this. It's a very easy verse, but I want to make sure I don't misquote it. In Romans chapter 1, Paul says in verse 4, who was designated as the Son of God and power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. That word that Paul uses there for power, it's the Greek word dynamis. It's where we get our English word dynamite. It's an explosive power. Okay, now keep that in mind. That is the power that God raised Jesus from the dead, Paul says. And what you and I must understand, it, it is that exact same supernatural power which saves us. It is that exact same supernatural power that brings a dead sinner from spiritual death to life in Christ. And when a person is saved, it involves the supernatural act of God. But when we are joined to Christ, not only in his death, but in his resurrection, we share in the same God-given power that enables me to live the kind of life that he's called me to. But I must remember... It's His grace. It's His power, not mine. You know, there are so many people. I, I can't tell you how many people have told me, you know, uh, I tried Christianity and it just didn't work. I, I heard a preacher the other day. I, I saw this YouTube video and I heard this preacher pleading with people saying, please just try Jesus. Listen, you don't try Jesus. If he calls, you come. I love how Vody Bauckham likes to put, you know, we, we talk about Jesus knocking on the door of your heart. Jesus doesn't do that. He kicks the door down and says, mine. Let's go. And Paul says it's that same power that enables me to, to live for him, that enables me to obey him, uh, being bound up with Jesus in his resurrection as much as in his death gives a whole new orientation to my life. You see, there were things before I was saved that I used to do, that I used to love, that I don't love anymore. There were places I used to go that I used to love, that I don't love anymore. What happened? Something changed. You know what that was? I died. 
and I was brought to new life. And now I have different affections. Now I have different loves. Paul Washer likes to say, we have this idea that, that when you're saved, you begin to hate the sin you once loved, and you begin to love the righteousness you once hated. And that's what's happened to us, Paul says. Uh, it, it is strange that Christians and churches all too often today we preoccupy ourselves with earthly trappings of the Christian life rather than Christ himself. If you want to see a church grow, I mean, if you really want to see a church grow, Here's how you do it. Preach Christ. Amen. Don't go and tell somebody, hey, let me tell you what a great preacher we got. Let me tell you what a great children's program we have. Let me tell you what a great choir we have and how wonderful our music is. Don't do that. Say, let me tell you what a great God we have. Preach Christ. And I want you to, we need to understand that our mind matters. It's no accident that Paul speaks first of the disposition of the heart, and then he talks about our thoughts. If you've been raised with Christ, he says, not only is, is, is the way you act going to change, but it's going to change because the way you think has changed. Now, I, I am a firm believer, and you've heard me say this, what you believe determines how you live. This is why doctrine is so important, that we know the doctrines of the Bible. Uh, there, there, there is a need here to reorder the whole way in which we think. Again, let me go over to Romans chapter 12. Paul says, therefore, I exhort you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, living, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. But here's what he's saying. Because of the mercy God has shown you, has God shown you mercy? Yes, he has. Paul says, then how can you do anything? Your, your only uh, logical worship service is that you present yourself to God. Your whole body to God. But then notice verse 2, he says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. So that you may approve what the will of God is, that which is good and pleasing and perfect. So our minds, Paul says, must be changed. John MacArthur, he says that the kind of transformation can only occur as the Holy Spirit changes our thinking through consistent study and meditation of the Scriptures. The renewal of our minds, a renewed mind is one that is saturated with and controlled by the Word of God. Listen, folks, as your pastor, I love you. And I'm going to tell you something that you need to listen to. Every day, get in the Word of God. 
Get in the Word of God. I have told you this. I will tell you this again. I can stand up here and I can preach, but don't ever say, well, that must be true because he said it. Get in the Word of God and make sure what I'm saying is the truth. Believe it or not, I can be wrong. I don't care what Cindy says. I can be wrong. Get into the Word of God. And, and as we saturate our minds with the Word of God, it will begin to change how we think. It will begin to change what, uh, what our thought patterns are. And as our thought patterns change, you know what changes? My life changes. My life will begin to change. So God doesn't just say, change the way you think and then leave it to me. He says, you get into my Word. And my word, over and over and over, especially in the book of Proverbs, we read about the mind and what we think. And, and I want to tell you something, folks. It, it's very obvious as you look at your world, at the world we live in today. When Satan attacks, you know what he attacks? The mind. Somebody says, well, I don't know if that's true. Well, you just go watch TV and tell me it ain't true. You listen to some of the music that's out there today and tell me it's not true. Satan knows. Advertisers know what to do. They know what to attack. And Satan, through advertisements and TV and music and movies and even people we associate with, he knows if he can keep our minds focused where they don't need to be focused, then our lives will follow. And so Paul says, if you've been raised with Christ, then set your mind on things above. He says, our life there in verse 3 and 4, for you died and your life has been hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is manifested, then you also will be manifested with him in glory. Our lives, he says, are hidden together with Christ in God. Even though we cannot see him now, Jesus has gone now, notice this. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ. Where is Christ? He's in heaven. You know, in, in chapter 1 uh, of Ephesians, Paul says that we are in the heavenlies in him. That we are seated in the heaven. We are already there. And he says your life is hidden with Christ in God. And even though we cannot see him, you know what he tells us in John 14, 1? He says, I'm going away. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go, you know what else I'm going to do? I'm going to come again. That where I am, there you will be also. Adrian Rogers used to say, Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. And while he's there preparing a place for us, God the Holy Spirit is here preparing us for that place. And that's what he's doing. And so we look that we don't belong here. Psalm uh, 90 and verse 1, this is the Psalm of Moses. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place through all generations. So Paul says, set your mind on things above and not things on the earth. Uh, in Philippians 3.20, Paul says that our citizenship is in heaven. That will transform how we think. We are no longer, Jesus said, of the world. We may be in it, he said, but don't be of it. 
And what he means by that is we live here, but that doesn't mean we have to think like the world. And I want to tell you something. Everything that happens in your life, every single thing that happens in your life every day is Satan and the world and the flesh and their attempt to make us think like they do, to make us act like they do. And Paul says, but that's not what we've been called to. He says, you've been raised with Christ. Therefore, set your affections on things above. You know why? He says, because you died. You no longer have to give in to this. And so not only have we died, but our life is hidden with Christ and God. Because you see, not only when Jesus was crucified, was I crucified with him. But that morning, that first Easter morning, when he walked out of that grave, I came with him. And you came with him. <clears throat> in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul gives us the, the gospel in a nutshell. He says, for I have delivered to you that which I first received, which is of first importance, that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That is the gospel. Now, I always found it interesting that, that Paul would, would right there, he would say not only that Jesus died for the scriptures, but that he was buried. I mean, it's, it's almost like that's a throwaway thing that Paul puts in it, but trust me, it is not. For one thing, you know what kind of people you bury? Dead ones. Because, you know, there were some who were saying that Jesus didn't really die. There are people today that don't believe Jesus really died. They say he only swooned upon the cross or, or that was just a made up thing that he didn't really rise from the dead. And Paul says he was buried and that he was risen the third day according to the dead, according to the scriptures. And this makes all the difference in the world. And we see there in verse 4, he says, so when Christ, who is your life, is manifested... Then you also will be manifested with him in glory. Paul adds one further thought by way of encouragement. He says, he reminds us that Christ is our life. I, I cannot stress to you the significance of those words right there. When Christ, who is our life, he is my life. Perfection and glory will be ours when Christ returns. And here Paul begins to appeal to a life uh, to, for us to live in a manner that is pleasing to God. We saw this back in chapter 1 when Paul says that, uh, we, that we are to, he prays that we would be full of knowledge of his will and spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we may walk in a manner that is pleasing to God. Do you long to walk in a manner that is pleasing to God? Listen, I have said this and I will continue to say this because the Bible bears this out. There are people that don't like what I'm about to say, but I'm going to tell you folks right here. I can prove it's true. If you have no desire to be holy, if you have no desire to please God, if you have no desire to live a life that is pleasing and holy before God, you need to be saved. It's just that simple. It's not that you are backslidden. It's not that you have uh, uh, gotten away from the Lord. It's that you need to be saved because the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. That's what makes us saved. You know who the Holy Spirit is? He's God. And the Holy Spirit living in me has one 
goal, one desire, that I be conformed to the image of Christ. That means I live a life of holiness. That means I begin to hate sin. And you showed me a, a person that says I'm saved who lives in sin, and I'll show you a liar. Just as that prodigal son. He woke up one day and said, I don't belong here. I'm not a pig. I don't belong in this. I will arise and go back to my father's house. And that's what a believer, I'm not saying a believer can't fall into sin. I know they can because I've done it. But I also know there came a point when God said, that's enough. You're mine. You're not a pig. You don't belong in this hog pen. And so Paul says, set your, uh, th th that because you've been raised with Christ, you have new affections, you have new loves. And even though uh, some of God's words relate uh, <clears throat> very much to the future, we are to still live. We're in this world, but being in the world, but not of the world. And I can promise you, folks, it's harder to do that today than it was yesterday. It'll be harder tomorrow than it is today because the world hates us. Let me rephrase that. The world hates Christ. They may give lip service to him, but I can promise you they hate him. And they don't want us to walk as Christ walked. And we, we have fallen into this trap Number one, that we need to be nice because we're Christians. Can I tell you, I can show you time after time after time where Jesus was not nice. He was, however, loving. But that doesn't mean the same thing. People today think it means the same thing, and it does not. But I want to tell you something today. Every day, the world says to you and me, conform to our image. Conform to our way of thinking. And if you don't, we're going to hate you. And we have, come, we have fallen into that other trap where it seems like, you know, if, if there are people out there that don't like us, well, what are we doing wrong? The world needs to love us. The world needs to, to, to be our friend. And when people get mad at us and people say bad things about us and people tell lies about us and the world just generally says, you know what, if you're not going to be like me, I'm going to hate you. We have fallen into this trap of thinking, okay, we must be doing something wrong. When in reality, we're doing something right. The world will hate us for following Christ. So Paul lays down the challenge to set our hearts and set our minds on Christ and the world which is to come, not on the world which is. We are to build our lives in the present and to hope for the future on the greatest reality the world has ever known. And it is the reality of the Christ who came to bring salvation and the Christ who not only came once but will come again. This time without sin unto salvation. You see, the first time Jesus came, he came to judge sin in men. But the next time he comes, he will come to judge men in sin. The reality, this is the hope which stands or falls on the reality of the resurrection. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe Jesus is risen from the dead? Do you believe that today he sits at the right hand of his father? You see, Paul says, if Christ is not risen, 
you're still in your sin, and I'm wasting my time preaching. But Paul goes on to say, but now is Christ risen from the dead. Let me ask you a question. How do you know he's alive? You ask me how I know he lives because he lives within my heart. Remember that old song? By faith, we believe that Jesus. Do you know how I can give you proof that Jesus is risen from the dead? Because the old Bobby Baker and the new one are two different people. I am literally a new creature, as are anyone who comes to Christ. But Christ is risen. And this, uh, that, that is what divide, defines the history of our world and our universe more than anything else. And it's what ought to obey, uh, to, to command our trust and order our lives so that we live lives that are pleasing to Him. Do you long to please God? Do you have within your heart this overwhelming desire to say, Lord, I love you and, and, and I'm going to serve you and I'm going to obey you, not so that you will love me, but because you already do. And by the way, do you know what it was about you? Does anybody know what it was about you that made God love you? Nothing. Nothing. Somebody said once, says, have you ever thought about the fact that God will never, ever, ever stop loving you? Do you know why? Did you know that God never started loving you? There was never a time when God said, you know what, I think I'm going to love her. I think I'm going to love him. There was never that time at all. Do you realize that? There was never a time when God started loving us. God has always, from eternity, loved us. There was no starting point. Now, I'm, I don't understand that. Okay? I, I'm going to be, my finite mind cannot wrap around that. That God, Paul says, who loved you to the point that He sent His only Son to bear your sins and die on a cross. But Paul says, listen, believer, you died with him. Your affections are no longer the same. You are no longer, Paul said in Romans 6, he says, how can we who died to sin continue to live in it? He said, how can you do that? Because you no longer have, you're no longer under an obligation to obey sin. You know why? Because you're dead. And, and Paul says, you know, when you are a slave and you die, you're no longer bound to your master. And so we have died and our life is hidden in Christ with God. And we are where he is. And he has promised that he will accomplish what he began in us. That work of sanctification. And, and it's, you know... <clears throat> It's such a wonderful thing when you stop and think about this. And you know what? You ought to stop. Open your Bible. Look at Romans 8, 28 through 30. Look at what Paul says here in Colossians 3, 1 through 4. And sit down and think to yourself. And just meditate upon the fact that one day you will be conformed to the image of Jesus. 
God will look at me and say, you look just like my son. You act like him. You talk like him. Now, is that true of me today? No, it's not. Now, I hope that it is more and more and more. I hope it is more today than it was yesterday, and I hope it's more tomorrow than it is today. But the day will come when that work will be complete. But that work is not complete because of what I've done. It is only because of Christ alone to the glory of God alone. Let's pray. Father, oh God, we thank you this morning for your word. Father, thank you for the wonderful gospel that you have presented to us. That while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, you have made us alive in Christ. Lord, we have nothing whatsoever, nothing in our hands I bring, just simply to the cross do we cling. Nothing to offer you but our sin. Father, thank you. Thank you that in your love, Jesus came and bore our sins and that we, Father, as we place our faith and our trust in him, we are crucified with him. We have died to sin and we have risen with him, Father, to a new life, a life with new affections, new loves, a new master. Father, we are slaves of Christ, so may we obey him out of love. Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit that you've given to us to indwell within us, Father, that enables us by the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. The same power that saves us is the same power that keeps us. Thank you for that, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.